It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. didn't bring me banana in, Luke, and now I'm hungry. Oh. Ah, sucks to be me. Schoolboy error. I bought you that banana as well. Why will you not treat it with respect? I know, I'm hungry. That banana hater is the Pete, and I'm the Luke. I'm a banana laker. I think I made that very clear. Yeah. Yeah. The theme tunes run out. I Talking about bananas. A, uh, I thought I'd be able to get through it because I ate uh, last night at 12 o'clock a Deliveroo'd um, 40 quid's worth of Chinese you're always doing this. I've told you, you've got to stop doing PM. it. I mean, 12 a.m., that's ridiculous. Do they still deliver all night? Though? Turns out. <laughs> Why are you, on your own, ordering right. £40 pounds worth of, um, of Chinese can, at that I time? I can never decide, and it all looks so delicious. I went for every meal. It was like, oh, lovely. So have you got loads in the fridge left over to reheat for leftovers? Yeah, can't reheat the rice sauce, the problem, innit? I always do, though. Yeah. They say you can't, but Troubl- I always do. Troubling. Um, speaking of that, I got absolutely rinsed in a shop the other day. Um, I went to a nice little um, sort of produce, like a deli type place yeah. in Herne Hill near where I live. And uh, it's all local produce. It's, it's nice. It's really nice. I don't mm. go there very often because it's expensive. Mm. And I picked up a couple of blocks of cheese and one said about £8 on it and the other said about £5, which I understand is a lot for cheese. It's like, could I pile up this cheese into blocks and land my wingsuit into it? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Mm. That's what I was using it for. <laughs> uh, anyway, I got to the front of the uh, queue in a massively busy deli and the woman rang it up and was like, £27, please. How much cheese did you I, buy? Not much. Is not it, much. Is it the King's cheese? What's going and, and on? I, and I said, I'm sorry? And she was like, £27.50. I was like, ah, what? And it turned out it was the price per 100 grams. Oh. It was the most expensive cheese in London, probably. But I couldn't, <laughs> so obviously I had to save face, I had to buy it. Big cheese, King cheese. That's wow. The, that's the English problem in a nutshell there, isn't it? What would you have done in that situation? You'd have just oh, bought it. Mate, I would have, I would have went, oh, I'd have two then. Yeah, because you don't want to be embarrassed no, in front exactly. of all the other yeah. people. I meant to do this. <laughs> um, yeah, coming up this week, this show on, I keep saying this week because we used to do one a week, but coming up this time around on Luke and Pete's show, we've got a load of your emails, which you can get in touch with us uh, by emailing hello at lukeandpeteshow.com. I've got a lovely um, article like, I found this week. Bought. Yeah, yeah to help yourself. Help yourself. The EU um, cheese mountain. I, I found, um, well, first of all, a couple of bit, bits of, of, of admin for me. I was upset to hear of R. Lee Ermey, the famous drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket, passing away last week. Oh, he wasn't a real dr- Right, okay. Cause, cause... No, he was as well. Oh. He was a real one as well. Hang on. So what? He was one well, in real life and then he was a film. He was. And he, he originally came into um, 
Full Metal Jacket, I believe, as a consultant. Right. And he was showing the actors how to do it. Mm. And and uh, Kubrick went, hang on a minute. Yeah, let's just get well, you in. This is brilliant. You're doing it. And, he, and and that's how he got the job. <gasps> did he do any acting after that? Then? I believe so, yeah. Do ah. you know what? He did because he plays, he does the voiceover for the little soldiers in Toy Story. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So. Wow. Oh, but, fair place. I like those little guys. In, in the obituary I read about him, I mean, he was very right wing. He's so right wing that he's officially listed himself as an independent because the Republican Party in the US weren't right wing enough. Even the 2018 version, well, where all bets are off. There we go. All manner of kooks can be uh, a member. But according to his obituary, um, and for those of you who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, this is a guy, a famous drill sergeant in the Stanley Kubrick film Full Metal Jacket, one of the defining Vietnam War films. He, apparently, he was so good in the shooting of the... Um, of the um of the movie mm. that Kubrick, a famous like attention to detail sort of control freak, he was happy with him after like two takes, which is very <laughs> completely unheard of. Really, but, but yeah, but who's he to sort of say that was shit? Like I exactly, this life. Pete. And the thing is, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because he's just doing what he normally does. Mm. It's not it's not really acting, yeah. is it? So he's just he's just pretending they're all recruits and just cracking on. Yeah. Anyway, so that was something that caught my eye. The other thing that caught my eye was um, someone shared a link to a Guardian article. Uh, from 2013. Now, I don't know if they still do it. Um, it's this, it's this, the Guardian definitely still have a website. They do, yeah, but they don't necessarily do this column, which is just right. called Experience. And the he- check out the headline to this. Experience. I was swallowed by a hippo. Wow. There's a man. They're so dangerous. There was a man who was a tour guide at 27 years old on the Zambezi <laughs> River near Victoria Falls, and a two-ton bull hippo uh, attacked him right. and try- basically tried to eat him and swallowed half his body. Wow. How and did he, he get out of that he, one? He survived to tell the tale. He, he, survived just, pulled, tale. he just pulled himself out? I think, I think so, yeah. When, lost... mouths, when mouths are so big, it must be quite hard. It must be quite easy to, you know, get in. You could probably fit, I could probably fit in one of their mouths, couldn't I? Listen, if, I well, if I rolled up. Yes, you could. Listen to this paragraph. This is directly from the article. I was aware that my legs were surrounded by water, but oh. my top half was almost dry. I seemed to be trapped in something slimy. There was a terrible sulfurous smell like rotten eggs and a tremendous pressure against my chest. My arms were trapped, but I managed to free one hand and felt around, and my palm passed through the wiry bristles of the hippo's snout. It was only then that I realised I was underwater, trapped up to my waist in his mouth. That is one of the more extreme situations a man or woman could find themselves in. And he, so he sadly lost an arm. He, he lost one of his arms. They thought he was going to lose two arms and a leg, but he only lost one arm. Uh, How did was, he crawl out? There was a medical team nearby, and uh, he, he doesn't know. He, this is a great quote. I have no idea how long we stayed under the water. Time passes very slowly when you're when in a hippo's mouth. <laughs> but anyway, by chance, there was a medical team nearby, and they managed to save his life. Um, but this is the I killer. like to think he had a little feather in his pocket, and he tickled it, tickled so, it in the, the hippo's knees. That's how you do it, <laughs> like, like some sort of uh, Hanna-Barbera castle. Yeah. Um, but sadly, one of his colleagues was killed um, by, by um, the, his injuries. But this is the kicker to the whole story. It's probably because the hippo was fucking full after that one. Listen to this at the end of the story. I'm convinced I met him one more time, talking about the hippo. Two years later, I led an expedition down the Zambezi. Still doing it. Still doing it. Uh, and as we drifted How do you past... lose that arm? I don't want to be on this trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want you to be my tour guide. You've yeah. lost an arm to yeah, a hippo. Yeah. Well, listen, he says, he says, two years later, I led an expedition down the Zambezi. And as we drifted past the stretch where the attack had taken place, a huge hippo lurched out of the water next to my canoe. I screamed so loudly that those with me said they'd never heard anything like it. Has he done this before? <laughs> uh, he dived back under and was never seen again. Hang on. He was, uh, 
I bet my life savings it was the same hippo determined to have the final word. He was in charge of a canoe. That's with a with one arm. Get there yourself go. a speedboat, mate. Jesus. It's bad, isn't it? That is bad. That's dreadful. Would you go back there if it happened to you? I'd probably... No, I probably wouldn't, to be honest. No, I wouldn't. Seen that. Being inside a hippo's mouth. Uh, that's, that's what's been floating my boat this week, if you excuse the pun. Now, one more thing really quickly, Pete. I saw that... I sort of thought this might this might be up your up your street. Um, Samsung have released a Galaxy phone, the J2 Pro, uh, which is un- unable to connect to the internet. No 3G, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. It's, it's oh, intended okay. for students and people who want to just make calls only. I think they need a product also released by Samsung called fucking self-control. Yes. People who sort of people who sort of bleat on about, I'm, I'm going to get this phone that's got nothing on it because, you know, the internet is just spoiling, it's ruining it. Shut up. Didn't you once... Just don't do it. When we co-authored a book... It. Pete, when we co-authored a book, you bought a piece of hardware which was enabled you to type and write out what you wanted to write without mm. the distraction of the internet. So you've literally done that. But the pro- no, but the problem is, if with that product, the thing that I was writing was very much uh, needed to be factually accurate. <laughs> so it was a bit of a fool's errand, really. I've still got that free write. It's called. It's a little. Um, it's a little uh, mechanical keyboard with an e-ink display, so it lasts for months. The battery and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good, but I mean... So have you ever used it since? Very, no. Very, <laughs> very hipstery. I How should, much should it cost? A couple of hundred quid. You should have just bought a typewriter. Yeah. There we go. Should have. I was starting at um, uh, the writer... Uh, well, the, yeah, Emily Dean, she works for... Um, she works on Frank's Industry. She's, she's done some work with the Ramble. But she's just filmed it. I know, yeah. Well. I know, um, yeah. Nice, nice lady. She, uh, she is writing a book, uh, like, you know, 80,000 words and stuff about her, her life. Um, it's actually like, a, it's, you know, what she thinks about when she walks a dog and stuff. I think that's the case anyway. Anyway, but she, um, uh, she lost her sister um, a few years ago. And so she was writing these passages about her sister and, and basically she lost all of the work. It was this really weird bug. Um, and uh, yeah, they, and oh, they couldn't really recover sad. it. They couldn't recover it. So she had to, you know, give herself a week and then start again and rewrite it and, because you remember it all. Well, yeah, but like you, it's a very raw emotion, isn't it? Writing about the loss of your of your loved one. It's and, terrible, oh, yeah. You know the guy who got to that. You know the guy who wrote the book Shantaram. Shantaram in prison. Mm. He wrote famously in prison. I think he had to write that twice because it was confiscated when he was right near the end the first time around. Oh, he wrote it in prison. So um, he had to rewrite the whole thing. Jonathan Ross's wife, who obviously wrote like writes big Hollywood um, blockbusters now. But she was she got the job for X Men, I think, one of the X Men films. Yeah, and she wrote it, and there was this bug on the Apple version of Word, and it turned everything to like asterisks, I think, something like that. And anyway, um, so Jonathan Ross rang up um, Johnny Ives, you know, the, the main designer for Apple, and yeah. basically said, "Can you help?" And so Johnny Ives went, "All right, yeah, I'll sort out a you know a really? transport, send it to Silicon Valley." Nothing they could do. They couldn't do anything about like, it. That is the best endeavour, really. You well, at least you know you've, to, you've left yeah, no stone yeah, exactly. unturned there. Exactly. Because you had to deliver it to like Warner Brothers or whatever like the next week or something. Why couldn't they, like, sort of, they couldn't do anything about it? Yeah, it's just this one, one in a million bug. It happens like to five people a year and, and it just so happened to um, both Emily and also her friends as well. So in the mid-90s, I was, I was obsessed with the X-Files. Right. As I'm sure many people were. And uh, that, the, the first work of Jane she's called Jane Goldman right yes that's right, yeah. the first work of Jane Goldman I'd ever ever come across uh, she wrote the official X-Files book of the unexplained oh really volume one and two and I got those for Christmas <laughs> and uh, then oh. I, later on I was like Jane Goldman hang on a minute and I looked at my shelf and, and yeah. so that, that was obviously how she well, well one of the ways she started out I think yeah. doing like non-fiction stuff of that, of that type 
Yeah. How interesting is that? Uh, not very. But. No, it's not, is it? It doesn't matter. Though. It doesn't matter because that's what this show's all about. Yeah. You never know if it's going to be interesting. Eugene Toombs. Until you say it. Classic. Classic Classic stuff. episode. I might go back and re-watch a lot of the X-Files, see what it's like. Did you watch any of the reboots? Terrible. Ooh. Couldn't get on with it. Stinking. Could not get on with Stinking. it at all. Um, we've been talking about um, drug planes quite a lot. Yes, we have. Drugs being transported by planes. So we've had a few emails on the subject, which is quite good. There's a, there's an amazing email from uh, um, a guy from Baltimore. Have you got it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. man, it's so it's in good. There, mate, it's in there. So good. Um, we'll kick off with uh, Shurams, though. Hello, Shuram. Hello, Mr. Moore and Mr. Donaldson. I was into episode uh, 53 today, uh, this morning, on my way to work, and I was amazed to hear the topic of Indian courts come up, because I'm currently a lawyer working in Mumbai, India. There we go. I hear it's the new Bombay. The Luke and Pete show tentacles stretch far and wide. <laughs> Not what I was expecting when I downloaded the episode today, uh, this morning. Uh, firstly, I have no experience with the American judicial system, except from American movies and television shows, which I'm quite sure are in no way indicative of the actual state of affairs over there. That being said, a while while I would like to be patriotic and defend the honour of Indian courts, the fact of the matter is that most of them are indeed quite lackadaisical. Uh, they are, of course, uh, exceptions on account of the brilliance of few individual judges who happen to be a member of that court, but those are few and far between. Another fact I would like to mention, though, which might interest you, is that the current legisla- legislation pertaining to the laws of evidence in India is actually the Evidence Act of 1872. As you're no doubt aware, uh, India became <laughs> independent in 1947. In other words, the said piece of legislation was enacted by the Imperial Legislative Legisla- uh, Council, which was the legislature for British India from uh, 1861 to 1947. H- hence, any criticism which JW from America may have in relation to the handling of confiscated cocaine should be directed at you lot, and not us, since we Indians weren't actually involved in the drafting of this piece of legislation. We'll take it on the chin, I think. Yeah, I think so, Sriram. Thank you very much for that one. That is so informative. I am humbled and embarrassed that an actual member of the court system is uh, listening. Involved. Well, let's follow, listen, follow it up with this, though, Pete, from yep. George. This is one of my favourite emails of all time. Also referencing bum the wire. That's I, why. I love it. Also referencing JW from a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Um, this is from George, who has Rayovac and Duracell batteries. He says, "What? This is brilliant. This is so Baltimore. It's amazing." Mm. While listening to episode fifty-three, I was initially shocked to hear an American attorney talking out of his ass, talking out of his ass behind his briefs. But, but, but given the lawyers I've encountered during my career, the surprise quickly faded. I have long been a drug detective in Baltimore. In fact, for over 20 years, and yes, the wire is pretty accurate, and worked with federal drug task forces for over a decade. I love it. We frequently employ private airline carriers to transport evidence in sealed containers that have been seized by foreign customs officials. This has been established with diplomatic agreements between various governments, and it's a fairly common practice given the global nature of the drug trade. I don't really have anything witty to add, but felt motivated to write solely because I never pass up the opportunity to stick it to an attorney. Or barrister, as you guys with the funny accent like to say, George. Now, George, if you are an actual drug detective in Baltimore, we need to hear more from you. Yeah. Simple as that, really. I don't care what it is and in what capacity, but if you're our man in Baltimore, we've, seen, we've all seen the wire. We want more from you. More, more, more. That's what I say. If you've ever done a drug bust, where do you first look when you get into a house for drugs? There we go. Good question. Do you start cupboards or you just go, no one's going to keep it in a cupboard. They're going to keep it somewhere else, aren't they? When you're following Getting... someone, how do you not get caught? Yeah. How do you trail them? Um... How big is your gun? No. <laughs> um, and it, seriously, George, we want some emails from you. And if those pencil pushers down at City Hall don't like yeah. it, they can have... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The championship season is over, and what a season it was. But the best is yet to come. It's the playoffs. Who will make it to the Premier League? And who will be left heartbroken at Wembley? Stay across it all with the second tier. We're bringing you episodes after every leg. And in between, we're revisiting the greatest moments in playoff history. It's real conversation with two real championship obsessives. So you can be in the know about everything happening in the playoffs. And share all your new knowledge in the pub with your mates. So come join us. We're your one-stop shop for the playoffs. Search second tier in your podcast app. And hit subscribe. My badge. They um, somebody hid. Uh, somebody bought an NES Nintendo uh, Nintendo Entertainment System uh, cartridge uh, this week or last week. Or the week before it doesn't really matter. Uh, and they found a load of drugs in it. Huh. So someone's been hiding some uh, druggies inside the uh, cartridge. And um, basically, when they first bought it, they were like, "This is very heavy. This cartridge is particularly heavy for an NES card." And instead of just opening up with a screwdriver, they um, googled the uh, normal weight for a for an NES card. Just get the screwdriver out and open it up. Yeah. What's the worst going to happen? What drugs was it? I don't actually know. It looked quite um, heavily... Uh, it was either a drug resin, which is probably heroin. How did you hear about this? Uh, on kotaku.com, which has everything I need for a balanced <laughs> video game life. Along with that other one, you, the other website you use for this show, what's it called? Atlas Obscura. Tits. What? <laughs> Atlas Obscura. Atlas Obscura. But seriously, that's a great email from George, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well done, George. We, we still haven't had another email from Pilot Neil, which disappoints me. No, we have had uh, something from another uh, pilot. No, wait. No, it's a different one. But there's, we'll keep reading the emails in order, and we'll get there yeah, from another pilot. A couple more uh, plane-related emails, yes. aren't there, which is one of our favourite subjects. Adam from Atlanta. To further the talks of transporting cocaine on flights, there was a flight attendant for JetBlue, a US-based carrier, who was caught trying to smuggle £60, uh, you lot can figure that out, in stone, of cocaine. Mm. It's a lot. Uh, She was caught because she was selected to be randomly searched. Rather than being searched, she dropped her carry-on, kicked off her shoes, and ran down an upward escalator. Uh, While she did escape capture, she surrendered in New York days later. I can't help but think she simply had something for Pilot Neil, and this is all just a big uh, misunderstanding. Pilot (laughs) Neil's not involved. (laughs) <laughs> that's um, not, that's, that's outrageous. I mean, I like the way that she's just thought, you know what, I'm out of here. Yeah, I was like, fuck this, I'm, I'm done. Because I would probably say something like, cooked. I'd probably say something like, oh, someone must have put that in my bag. Yeah, exactly. Some trickster. As soon as you start running, you're out, you're in trouble. Yeah. It's over. Um, um, he ends the email by saying, I did try to get my uh, wife to listen to the show. After a few minutes, she asked, what nonsense is this? So now whenever I try explaining something from the show, I have to lead off with the, uh, <laughs> with the immortal words. It was on the British podcast about nonsense, which is fairly accurate. I yeah, mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, no, recounting I'm, I'm not, any of this to anyone. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not offended by any of this, to be honest. To be quite um, 
Another plane slash air travel related email from Claude. You don't hear from Claude. Hello, well. Claude. Oh, maybe it's Claude from The Apprentice. Mm. Remember Claude from The Apprentice? No, I don't. <laughs> oh, one of the best ever lines. You know, in The Apprentice, when do you ever watch it? Is that the, you're fired, sure. You're fired. Yeah. So there's an episode about seven or eight weeks in or whatever, when there's only about five of them left, where they do a um, they set up a, a set of a quite hard hitting interviews. Right. So it's not a challenge, not a, not a task. Yeah. They have to prepare their business plans and their CVs, and they yeah. go and be interviewed by a lot of Alan Sugar's mates. And one of them is Claude, and now he's the right hand man to Alan Sugar, but he used to just be the interview guy, and he was so harsh, it's unbelievable. Right. And before he became a right hand man, he, he was like the highlight of the series. He's still quite good now, but he, that was the real the real thing. And uh, it's classic. There's one scene, and I know it's edited the shit, but it's still really funny. Uh, this guy comes in. You know the type of apprentice, apprentice candidate. They're all quite cocksure yeah. and yeah. estate agents. Yeah, basically they are basically estate yeah. agents or car salesmen or whatever. Really, and this guy comes in front of the joys of spring, thinking he's the big swinging dick. And he sits down, and it's probably edited to make it look like he's sat there for ages. But he sits there for like five minutes, and Claude's just reading for his CV, and he just looks up and goes, it "Says here on your CV that you get on very well with everyone." Not getting on very well with me, are you? It's <laughs> class. <laughs> There's another way he did where he just goes to the guy, this business plan is preposterous. Please leave. <laughs> and, and the guy doesn't get to say anything, he just, just gets him out of there. He has to leave. Anyway, Claude. Business, Claude, business is wank, isn't it? A different Claude has been in touch. Yes. He says, hey guys, love the show, been listening from the beginning. Um, I'm also... Why don't, a- sorry, can I just jump in there? Why don't they have a version of The Apprentice with... Um, uh, with pilots uh, with, no with Muhammad, you have crashed a plane everyone's dead you're, with, you're fired with, with Mohammed Al-Fayed you're fired I think yeah. that joke's been done by some jobbing stand up shit yeah probably yeah probably you're fired no you're fired yeah uh, it works no you're fired it, it no you're work. fired it could go on for years it does work yeah. um, Claude says uh, I'm also a pilot and although you seem to have the aviation correspondent for the pod sorted I thought I would just chip in well pilot Neil's gone absent so Claude there might be an opening for you <laughs> I wanted to help he's in the drink Claude said, I wanted to help clarify the... Maybe he's on a really long haul flight for like three <laughs> weeks. I wanted to help clarify the cockpit door situation because I hear this stuff all the time and it would be nice if more people knew how it works. Basically, at my airline and most others, as far as I know, while the engines are off, essentially before we can push back and after we've arrived on stand, if you ask the cabin manager nicely, time permitting, you can come into the flight deck and say hello. Obviously, it's often more suitable once we've arrived on stand, time-wasting, so there you go. It's a nice feeling when we can make a kid's day after a long flight and even let them sit in our seat and get a photo. Aww. I hope that clears it up. Keep up the good work. Well, Donny, you should you should do this when you're flying out next. I'm pissed out my mind on, on uh, EasyJet. Let's have a go on. Let's, let's have a go. Let's have a let's go. Have a go on the steering wheel. Let's... <laughs> I'll do a loop-to-loop. <laughs> Flick all the switches, yeah. like random sort of yeah. switches. Oh, yeah. God. Because there are switches everywhere. I reckon, you get with... I reckon you could get away with flicking at least seven before you get thrown out. A friend of mine... And they a... wouldn't necessarily know which ones they were. A friend of mine is a pilot, said that... Um, you know when you see on, on on films when the pilots had a heart attack or whatever, and they have right. to they have to talk someone down, yeah, flight down. He said it's so sensitive, it's so it would be impossible for someone who's never flown before to do that. Yeah, hugely. So I guess they want to grab someone on the plane who's bit, done a bit who's of on flying nodding before. turns, yeah, turns with, with modern yeah. ballistics, with yeah. modern ballistics. Yeah. Um, I know a we talked about JetBlue little and I know a marketing executive, or rather, actually the head of marketing, I think, for JetBlue. I've flown with them before; she's they were terrible. Very, uh, well, I think they're very good, actually. I oh, do. Okay. Very, they're a very progressive company. Translated into the fact that you've got a friend that works there. Good point. Yeah. But you know, she's very impressive. Um, do you want to do an email? Do this email from David Golding. Have you seen it? All right then, David Golding. Uh, batteries ever actives. 
Uh, I've been listening to your output since the beginning. I enjoy all the shows. Keep up the good work. The current stupidest thing I've heard uh, trope on the show got me thinking about a friend and the plethora of stupid stuff he used to say and do. Let me set the scene. 2005. Nick had just passed his driving test. We went out for a drive and he was hurtling towards a speed camera when I said, you'd better slow down. You'd better slow down, Nick. (laughs) Pointing at the speed camera that they were approaching. Now, Nick isn't the sharpest, but what he did next was hilarious, and it's honestly, honestly true. He said, don't worry, mate, I've got it covered. He then took his hand and placed it over his speedometer <laughs> and said, they will never take a picture of it now. That's unbelievable. Yeah. After I'd stopped laughing, I did try and explain speed uh, equals distance over time, but he wasn't having any of it. A week later, when he received the speeding ticket, uh, though, he uh, asked me to explain it again. David Golding. Yeah. Excellent work. David Golden, we can judge a man on the company he keeps. <laughs> you, my friend. That is something else. You are the one-eyed king in the kingdom yeah. of the blind. I've got, um, I love that. I've got, uh, I've got a really interesting email here about scurvy. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. Um, just t- changing tack entirely. Hurt me, daddy. Nick Chadwick Williams, a man who presumably is so posh, he's never even had to contemplate not having enough vitamin C. But he says, uh, hearing you chat about scurvy last week reminded me of some of the incredible and terrifying effects scurvy can have. Um, I've not personally witnessed these, luckily, five a day, etc. By the way, I'm no doctor. I have no relevant qualifications at all. <laughs> I just read about this somewhere. I looked it up, and what he's about to say, as far as I can make out, is true. Scurvy is the lack of vitamin C. Vitamin C is necessary for collagen synthesis. Wounds are essentially stitched up with collagen, which forms scar tissue, and is also important for healing bones. So if you've got scurvy... Oh, bones, them bones, them dry bones, bones. <laughs> uh, i.e. low vitamin C... Yeah. New wounds and broken bones will heal really slowly or not at all. Ugh. But vitamin C is also crucial for collagen maintenance since your body is constantly replacing the collagen in scar tissue. And here's the kicker, Ippy. If the scurvy is bad enough, old scars can reopen and bones can start falling apart from old breaks. That is fucking horrific. horrific. It's like a curse. It is, but you can imagine why people believed in curses when yeah. they were back in. Because I'm thinking pirates here. Are you thinking pirates? I'm thinking men of the ships. Yeah, merchant sailors. Different way of saying what I just said. Men of the ships. Um, so if you don't get enough vitamin C and develop scurvy, um, old scars can reopen and bones can start falling apart from old yeah. breaks. So the stuff you thought you'd put behind you. Oh, that this is a story <laughs> to tell. Hang on a minute. That was four years ago. Why is it bleeding again? When I was when I was reading this, I was thinking. Imagine if I'd gone back in time. And I had like all the, I sort of think about all the knowledge I have now that I could make money out of in the past. So like, you know, wash your hands, mm. don't drink rotten water, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, scurvy would be a good one. Cause you'd be like, oh, um, I've got a special portion that I dissolve in orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> my, uh, I've, put, I've, I've put all of this, uh, I've put my medicine in these oranges and you've got to eat them. Some philosopher really said expensive um, oranges. But I think the problem was that they were, you couldn't get oranges, right? That wouldn't work, would it? No, you, keep, you can keep oranges, can't you? Back in the day, I don't think they had ready access to oranges. My granddad even said that in the Second World War, they couldn't get oranges. No, but no one's known as scurvy at that point. No, but I, no, I think they just didn't know what's, what was caused by scurvy, but people who ate oranges sure. didn't have any. And I'm saying, rethink your business plan. Well, no. Um, quickly. You're fired. <laughs> quickly, um, some philosopher or some anthropologist said did say that um, scientific development in, in our generation would be indistinguishable from magic from the generation before. So oh, yeah. like, you can, you, if you went back now mm. with knowledge like you've got today, I mean, it would be ridiculous. Should have my uh, freshly lasered armpits. Yeah, doesn't he? Like, like, fuck. Very, exactly, that's a great development. Fucking hell. Uh, is it in Sapiens, the Harari book, where he says, um, you know, an eight, I think he said an eight-year-old child would, would be the most intelligent person 
however many years ago. Brilliant. Because there's so much. But listen to this. Here's, here's one for you. Following up from the, uh, from the scurvy email. Chili peppers, blackcurrants, parsley, kiwis, broccoli, sprouts, bell peppers, strawberries. What have they all got in common? Uh, a terrible meal. <laughs> it depends. Well, mixing all, yeah, you have to use, you have to use every last one of that uh, those ingredients. Wouldn't be that bad, but sprouts would be great. Um, <laughs> all those things, Pete, have got more vitamin C in them than an orange. Is that right? And do you know why that's fascinating to me? Marketing because oranges are the go-to vitamin C shout. Yeah, in the in the UK at least. If you if someone says I've got I've got a cold, yeah. get an orange. Oh. Even though vitamin C apparently hasn't been proven to link to recovery from you know, colds. You know what though, I. Um, never used to take vitamin supplements, but I discovered in Boots these chewy little jellies. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> chewy little jellies. Uh, and now and, your scars have I, never looked and better. I've, <laughs> and I have um, one every day. Well, you know, every day, every two days. I've, I used to have a cold, on average, every month to two months. Mm. I've not had a cold, touch wood, in about five months now. But Four the, months. It's incredible. The most recent uh, thinking is that it's that actually, doesn't matter. It's zinc, apparently. Zinc, yeah. Zinc well, it's got zinc one. in it, yeah. right? So zinc is the one, not even vitamin C. But Tom, Tom Zinc, isn't it crazy to think that if you if you wanted to get your vitamin C intake, you're better off with a handful of strawberries than you are an orange. Yeah, but I mean, strawberries are really expensive, aren't they? And right. they're not always great. Oranges have a pretty have a better hit rate than strawberries. I think. Couple of kiwis. Couple of kiwis. Oh, got a spoiler in it. Bit of broccoli. Do you like broccoli? Oh uh, yeah, I like broccoli. I like it. I like every. I like every well-prepared vegetable. And I guess the problem with chilli pepper is going to be that you're going to have to get quite a few of them down you, and they're going to be quite Bang, uncomfortable yeah. to eat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There we go. Oh, well, there you go. Lovely old job. Um, do you want one final email? Yeah, let's round it off with a final email. Why don't you do it? No, we don't want... Okay, well, uh, hello to Bo Beddingfield. Great name. <laughs> i got to get through this. name. i got to get through this. Mm. Um, this is just a weird kind of scene that you'd expect in, like, a film or something. Hi, Luke and Pete. I... I'm 36. <laughs> uh, going through old episodes, the uh, Tamam Should case reminded me of a much less interesting but still baffling unsolved case from my own life you might find interesting. Well, we'll be the judge of that. Around the year 2000, I was 18 and playing in a mediocre rock band. We were driving home from a gig through the absolutely middle of nowhere in rural Georgia. We stopped at a 24-hour gas station that we were shocked to find in a uh, really remote uh, location. We gassed up, got some junk food, and we were nearly ready to leave. The rest of our bandmates were back in the van as our uh, drummer and I smoked cigarettes uh, and drank coffee on the curb. It was between 3 and 4 a.m., so we were shocked to see a Buick LeSabre, yeah, Buick LeSabre, which is like a classic grandparents' car back yeah. in the day, pull into the parking lot. In the car was a Caucasian couple who I pegged to be in their mid-70s. The couple parked in front of the store but made no move to exit the car until, get this, moments later... A black van with no rear windows pulled in and parked two spaces beside them. From the va- black van emerged three immaculately dressed men with Asian features I took to be Japanese. This was a highly educated guess based on my uh, immense experience with Japanese culture from that one time I was eight and my family hosted an exchange student from Kyoto. Summer. <laughs> uh, the men from the van uh, were clearly wearing uh, black suits, crisp white shirts and no ties. They helped the elderly man out of the Buick though he did not see, need to uh, see, he did not seem to, to need assistance. Uh, the elderly man waved at the woman, she waved back, and then the men from the van uh, helped the elderly man into the side of the van. After that, both vehicles left the parking lot heading in different directions. For years now, I've sought an explanation, and for years I've come up with nothing plausible. Uh, Before you say posh airport shuttle, there was no luggage, and why a van with three attendants rather than a limo or a town car? I would love to hear if you or your listeners have experienced similar minor mysteries. It is a mystery, that. That is strange, isn't it? 
Okay, I, I read the email earlier. I couldn't think of why that would be happening. I would love uh, listeners like to something get... something out of Fargo. Yeah, it, is re- it really is. I would love listeners to get in touch and give us their theories. Mm. Uh, hello at lukeandpeachy.com. Uh, Bo Bediff is a great name. It's such a good name that I Googled it and I found out that his band are called the Wydells. The Wydells? And they're from... Uh, I think no, they're no, from... Aren't they fairly well known, the Wydells? No? Or no am I being I've silly? not heard of them. They're from Athens, Georgia, though. Oh. Keeping up that tradition of great bands from Athens. Neutral mm. Milk Hotel, R.E.M. Um, Olivia Tremor Control, all those lot. Um, good, good stuff. Are they but, doing a Neutral Milk Hotel doing that album? I think they're doing an album uh, version. I've seen live them, version of them doing the Airplane of the Sea album. I've seen that live. I've seen yeah. that done live. I think it was done at an autumnized party. Ah. And, and the guy, um, the main guy in, in Neutral Milk Hotel, is a very reclusive, quite odd character. And when I went to see them or see him, I guess it was. I've never seen. Um, it, I think it might have even been listed as Jeff Mangum and not Neutral Milk Hotel. He's he's the main guy in it. Um, I've never seen so many signs saying, do not take any photos. Really? If you do, you're out of here. Wow. He was very, very particular about that. But I really enjoyed uh, watching him. He did two sets that weekend, I believe. Athens, Georgia. Bustling. It used to be a, traditionally a very, very, very rich um, music scene. But if you In can... an aeroplane over the sea. Classic rendition right there. I mean, it's, it's up there with it, Ben. It, Ben. It's been. Ich bin. Um, but if you can solve that Bo Beddingfield mystery, the Bo Beddingfield mysteries. The Bo Beddingfield mysteries. It's hello at lukeandpeachshow.com with your theories. We'd love to hear from them. Mm. Also, Pilot Neil, get in touch. We're getting a bit worried. We're a bit worried about you, <laughs> pal. Stop the radar. And if got it, a flight24.co.uk. Find yeah, out where he is. Flightradar.com. Mm. There's nothing bad to happen. He's probably just having a bit of time off. Probably found some other podcasts. Yeah. I would. But, but, I would. Gimlet put something new out. He's probably listening to that. Gimlet. Like everyone else. You're obsessed with Gimlet. They're good. Weird. Bloody good stuff. Gimlet yeah. reminds me of the word giblet, though, and it just makes me think of bits of body. Yeah. The only... Uh, well, a, vol- body. a Volker Gimlet is a, also a cocktail. Mm. The only podcasts I like listening to are, of course, oh. Radio Stakhanov podcasts. I think so. From abroad in Japan to wrestle me, there are other podcasts that I'm not involved in. Yeah. And I'm not on. Listen to them all. Berkhamstead Revisited. Uh, RadioStakhanov.com. Yeah. Um, Oh, That's about it from us, isn't it, Peter? Get, I'm going to eat me banana. Yeah, get your banana. Get yourself on that plane out to wherever it is you're going. Guess what? Um, Come back safe. Guess what uh, Japanese for banana is? It's banana. Ah, is it really? Yeah, wankers. Is it, is it like in France when they have the sort of more modern words that come through are just, they're sort of universal. It's like mm. homogenised, like the yeah. internet. And but why, like banta- why banana is banana and uh, uh, apple is like a dingo? I don't understand why. That's the case. Maybe, the, maybe I can find it on the Broad Japan podcast that we also do. You're the expert, Peter. You <laughs> are I, the expert. I am the expert. Good, finally. Someone admits it. Um, oh, I've realised we missed out an email that I wanted to do, and I've got mate, an anecdote about it. Mate, we'll put it in the box. I will do. I've got a box of uh, emails we don't get through, and we'll uh, pile through it next it's time. It's from Pete from Wrexham. Pete, if you're still listening, we'll get to it at some point, mate. We apologise. Hold tight, Pete from Wrexham, if you want to get to the show. Hello at LutonPeteShow.com. Baby's off to have his banana. Yes. And we'll be seeing you on Thursday. Bye. Goodbye. In an airplane over the sea. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. 
but nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.